first and foremost, um, surround yourself with really good people. Um, that makes probably the biggest difference. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable tech startups in sunny Western Australia. My name is Danelle Cross. And I'm Carly Norman. And in this episode, we're talking with the winner of the 2019 Insight Awards WA Startup of the Year, Alert Digital Health. So welcome to the show, Rizali and Ryan. It's been quite a ride for you both. But let's take it back to the beginning and tell us, how did you come up with the idea of Alert? Oh, well, um, our background has always been in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, we've been building uh, those kind of technologies for the last 13 years, and we've worked in a range of different industries including mining services, agribusiness, robotics, computer vision applications. And they've all been about uh, automation and process optimization, trying to leverage computers and algorithms to really improve processes um, to gain uh, uh, productivity gains in a lot of applications. We realised a long time ago that medical services uh, was one of the late adopters of uh, machine learning and AI. Uh, so we saw an opportunity to make a lot of tremendous uh, gains in uh, the provision of medical services. Uh, the goal of Alert really is to be able to provide a better quality medical service to a larger population at a much lower cost. And we saw an opportunity to use artificial intelligence and the latest in web technologies to take um, our more than decade worth of experience and to apply it to medical services. Traditionally, uh, the health space is run by some pretty big players. Can you just talk us through, Raz, how you've navigated this? Yeah, this uh, this has been this has been a uh, very big learning experience. Uh, over the last five years, uh, we've engaged with a lot of the big players at uh, one level or another. Uh, companies like Philips or GE, medical device companies, both in Europe and the US, uh, local hospital groups as well. Uh, really, you start working when you at the beginning. You're working with uh, a lot of medical professionals. You start with your work, and you actually kind of work through the network. Uh, you have some papers published. You build some applications. You work with some new partners, uh, and then you get exposed to a larger network of people. So you know somebody who knows someone, who knows someone else. Uh, but that's really a function of your work. Uh, you you write a good paper. You build a good application, uh, and then you show it to someone else. And the next thing you know it, you're sitting across the table with some of the um, senior executives from a company like Philips or GE, uh, and you're presenting your work. Um, we've managed to see a lot of different groups from different areas of healthcare, including uh, sitting with Google DeepMind in the UK, uh, Philips in the US, uh, and some of the hospital groups he here locally in WA. Um, it's been a, a learning experience. And with medical software as a service as well, it's quite a new space that a lot of the bigger players are actually looking to get into. And so it's actually a learning experience, not just for us, but I think also for them. Uh, they do see the opportunity to bring on new innovative technology uh, with an agile young company. Uh, but it is a learning pro process for both of us at the moment. Raz, I love how you so casually say that you just find yourself sitting across one day from the Google DeepMind team? Like it's a completely normal path for any young startup to take. I think you're being far too modest. But I'm really keen to hear Ryan's take. You guys have been in this space for so long now. You've been able to manipulate your product in so many different ways. Ryan, can you tell us about, have there been any unusual applications for your tech that you hadn't originally intended? Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Um, so we were, we started out traditionally in the healthcare space looking at 
sort of online applications for clinical people, but we realized the workflow that we developed for clinical practices was pretty identical to a lot of the workflows that we would used to do in the mining sector. So condition monitoring, report generation, analysis of large, large amounts of data. And so we, in 2016, we split off a side company um, from a local Singularity, which I now run, which is taking the same sort of uh, developments in AI and applying them to condition monitoring in the industrial sector, particularly mining sector. Thank you, Ryan. Now, we sort of, we hear from a lot of early stage startups about the, you know, navigating the regulations, I guess, both in the mining sector and the medical health sector. Perhaps if you could both, um, perhaps Raz first and then Ryan, if you could both um, comment on those those two industries and how you've found navigating that sector. Uh, yeah, that's a really, really good question. It's a really important one as well, particularly uh, in gaining trust and uh, really having your clients see value in your applications. Uh, in the healthcare sector, uh, with especially with artificial intelligence and machine learning, the regulations are actually still evolving both here and the US. Uh, so really at the moment, what we need to do is build our applications to conform to the current regulatory requirements. Uh, so a very important thing at the moment is you have the AI and they actually work side by side with the medical professional. It's still the human making the decision, still making the diagnosis. Uh, they're being aided with a decision support system like an AI. Uh, we do eventually see more and more automation and more, uh, I think, trust in the AI over time. Uh, the regulations will evolve as well, and they are currently, especially in the healthcare space, medical software as a service. Uh, the legislation, the regulations are currently under review. However, there are guidelines that you can kind of work to so to make sure that your application actually fits in the current regulatory environment, but also you're prepared for what's going to happen into the future as well and more alignment with overseas as well. Yeah, and just building on that, we, like, we took a long time to get a product ready that both clinicians were ready to use and we could get through the TGA registration process, which we actually did just earlier this year for our uh, main medical product. But in the mining space... We we worked there for 15 years combined previously to start the company, so we knew the sort of ins and outs for getting hardware into sites for tests and pilots, and also there's no added sort of ethical overlay that comes with the um, medical practitioner. We have to worry about patient health and stuff like that. With mining, you know, you just have to sort of show productivity gains, and you can get a trial off and running real quickly. So we were happy to get our first product uh, deployed last year. The trial was successful, so our first commercial license deal out of that. We went from prototype to license deal within about 12, 14 months. Wow. So you've actually had some pretty quick progress in a lot of the projects that you've been working on. I think the company overall has been running for five years. I think you were saying earlier. So to have covered off so much ground in that time is really impressive. Another thing I know that's taken up a lot of your time is finding funding. See, it takes a really long time for medtech and things like that to commercialize as well. And I think you were saying you've found funding in Melbourne, Perth, and was it overseas? I don't recall if that came off or not. I'd be really keen to hear your thoughts on how you found the funding scene in Western Australia, particularly. Yeah, uh, another good question. Uh, gen generally, it's uh, <laughs> getting people to part with their money is uh, quite tough. Uh, but um, it, is, it, is, it is quite interesting and you do learn a lot as well. Um, communication and trust is a very big thing. 
uh, really understanding your business inside and out and being able to communicate that uh, to your potential investor is really important. Uh, we found right at the beginning when things are just an idea, um, you, you'll be able to find some money somewhere with somebody who, in your network uh, that would be willing to, I guess, back you um, and to get started. And in the early days of the company, um, we were able to, we are fortunate enough to come across an angel investor and a, um, a small oh, um, a investment fund as well to uh, get us all going. Uh, the biggest challenge so far, uh, well, there's a couple at the moment, obviously currently with COVID, uh, is incredibly difficult. It's so hard at the moment. Uh, however, though, there is money out there. So I think being in the right industry, uh, being able to see a clear path from where you are to where you need to be uh, would help. And, well, as you mentioned, we're an organisation that's been going for almost five years now. Uh, I think this is one of the more difficult phases. Uh, I think when you're bridging the gap from early stage company to one generating revenue, that's, I think, generally is the um, most dangerous part for any startup. So I think we're, we're in probably one of the hardest times to find uh, funding at the moment. However, I, th I don't see us having a problem in the next six or 12 months if we achieve what we need to achieve. Actually, interestingly as well with what you were saying um, then about finding it hard, um, with the right funding, how far away are you from commercialisation just so that the people at home can get an idea of the length of time that it takes for a product like this to be developed and go to market? Well, uh, it's, I think it's a little bit different between health and singularity, um, being the health sector and the mining sector. With the health sector, it's a bit longer. Um, I think it's important to reflect that we've actually built a artificial intelligence medical product, uh, so, and that registered with the TGA. So there's a bit more uh, of a process to go through, uh, not as much as pharmaceuticals uh, with clinical trials or anything like that, uh, but uh, it does take a bit of time uh, to get through that process. Uh, once your product is finished, uh, we've already got early adopters, GP clinics, cardiac service providers, uh, some interest to do some research with us as well. Um, we're, yeah, we're, within the next six months, uh, we're doing that now. And we're quite confident with the current funding we've got, we can actually uh, get that up and running. And I don't see it being a problem beyond that once the application uh, is taken up by a few early adopters. Uh, and potentially a, um, a partner to help scale this application out. Uh, like, as Ryan was saying, um, that application was out within 12 to 14 months. So once you're familiar with the process, you can get something together quite quickly. Thanks, Raz. You mentioned that, obviously, the business is in a, is in a you know, a, a, a difficult stage, I guess, from a, from a fundraising perspective. And obviously the environment, the macro environment is, is really, really difficult in the current COVID-19 crisis. I'm interested um, to find out from both of you about any other challenges um, that you've had, probably how many other challenges should be the question, not any. Um, any other and how many other challenges besides fundraising, which we acknowledge you know, it's extremely difficult at the moment, but any other challenges and, and I guess how you've navigated them for, for other startups in, in, the similar, in a similar position um, to you at the moment, both you and your team too, I think. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, I, I think the, the challenge for us, particularly is both me and Rosali, a primarily technical background. We were both software engineers and we saw, we worked with various startups that grew and incorporated the enterprise companies 
but we didn't have as much hands-on experience with the governance side with companies like board re- uh, resolutions, board papers, documents, various international regulatory uh, things like that, legal contracts. So that was probably the, the first hurdle we had to cross to scale. And then as we started taking on more and more employees, and we have about four or five or six across the group now, like also management, like building a management layer to, to facilitate those employees. Uh, you know, initially, at, when we were just tech people, it was quite easy to have a small team, but as we grew, we need to bring on more administrative helpers from around. Um, okay, that was a bit of a hurdle. But after that, we sort of are in sort of free growth now. We've, we've, we've ironed out a lot of those initial things. I think we've learned both a lot from that experience. Yeah, just adding to Ryan, um, actually, you're speaking to Ryan, who's a zero Jedi master now. <laughs> so it's really across across all the aspects of the business, you do really have to be uh, quite intimately involved with, uh, especially as a young organisation, because you've got limited experience, um, resources. Uh, so when it comes to governance, accounting, communications, uh, as well as managing the technology and the business development, uh, you do have to have uh, a willingness and an openness to to learn and grow. It's, it's been probably the last five years has been the um, biggest growth period of my life. I'm pretty sure I've got stretch marks. Um, <laughs> it's been that much growth. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite satisfying as well. It's interesting that you should mention growth as well. I know that there's been several different pathways in the way that you have built and leveraged relationships. One of the things that I know you put in place quite early was a board. How have you been able to utilise your board and your advisors to leverage networks to help your company grow and scale? The, uh, with Alert Digital Health, we've, uh, I'm quite lucky to have a very strong board. We've got um, Professor Neil Fong um, and uh, Grant Bain. Um, they've, uh, they've brought a tremendous wealth of experience. Uh, it's really, I've learned a tremendous amount and I'm still learning right now as well. Um, as I was saying to Ryan earlier, earlier today, uh, it's, I think the biggest thing is learning, uh, to sometimes resist your own, uh, I guess, behaviors and instincts that you've just learned from a lifetime and trusting the experience that comes along with it, um, a really solid board. So I think that's, um, that's the biggest thing that they've uh, brought f- uh, forward. And then that way that ensures that you are operating confidently, uh, correctly with, um, with integrity and transparency, and that gives you confidence to get out to the market and say, okay, this is what we're doing, and not just the tech, but the way we're operating the business and running the business. I'll, I'll just add to that. I, I think not just our board, which, which has been very helpful, but also we've had a, a large group of mentors and advisors that have helped us through that process, uh, particularly Peter Clark, who was our, the CEO of the startup we were working for in the uh, University's Tech Park at Analyze. And we saw him sort of successfully navigate that company through the exit. And we learned a lot of stuff from him. And he's been sort of connected to us through various projects, even up to founding of our company where he gave us advice. And even today through Nets Ignited, he's still, you know, getting us meetings and putting us in touch with international competitions and stuff like that. So he's been amazing. But also the various group of advisors we've had in, in digital health, various doctors around the world who have been excited to get involved with some AI. And, you know, often we have very interesting discussions them about the potentials they see for the technology and it's good to hear that kind of stuff coming from the people, the practitioners on the ground. Thank you both. Um, at the moment, we're just, you're five years down the track in this, this fabulous roller coaster of a startup journey. 
have you got any advice, tips, tricks, um, words of wisdom for, you know, fellow founders um, that are perhaps a little bit earlier stage than yourselves? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, I think first and foremost, um, surround yourself with really good people. Um, that makes probably the biggest difference, I'd say. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they provide a lot of support, uh, both professionally but also personally. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And they kind of help guide you when things get a bit, uh, a bit too much, a bit too stressful. And I think that's incredibly important. But also that makes sure that you actually operate in quite um, an honest and transparent way as well. And the team we've got, um, like I work very closely with Ryan. Um, a lot of the people within the organisation are very close uh, and everybody's really honest with each other. And I think that's, uh, I think the only reason or one of the only reasons we've actually got through a really strong period is having a really strong team around you. And, yeah, just that's probably the biggest thing. No, I would just add that, that probably a bit of a cliche advice, but the, there's always a temptation to try and diversify your projects early and take on a few little side projects right when you're sort of at the cusp of commercialization or just pre-commercialization. And I can't stress enough how much it is important just to focus on your first project and get something that has market uh, grip before you start uh, thinking about other side projects. There's so many tempting offers that come along to latch onto someone else's research project or be part of other collaborations and stuff like that. But if you start out with a purpose, you, you really have to focus on just that initial purpose. But also, with that being said, uh, once you have that purpose in, in mind, don't be too precious about it and don't be afraid to pivot your primary focus as the market guides you along. You'll always find that when your initial dream idea for a product, as soon as you put it in front of some potential clients, they'll, they'll always tell you various modifications or slight changes or even potential large changes to your product. But don't take that as some sort of criticism of your initial idea. Just listen to what the market you to do with awesome. Great advice and thank you. Um, Raz, you touched on, you know, surrounding yourself with, um, you know, fabulous people from diverse backgrounds um, that can help you, you know, personally, obviously, as well as professionally. I'd really love if you could um, both just um, give us some insight into your, um, how you, you know, I guess your downtime and how you you know, look after yourselves um, in this in this really tough time when you're when you're scaling scaling yeah. a business. <laughs> I can see Carly laughing. She's known me for a while. So. <laughs> the um, yeah, it's it's important. Um, I think uh, personally, I've always and I know Ryan's actually the same as well. Uh, we're very passionate about what we do in our work, and we kind of throw ourselves into it. Uh, the early days or the early couple of years of the startup, you work insane hours. Um, you work till like four o'clock in the morning, sleep for a couple of hours, wake up the next day, do it again, do like six, seven days a week and you're just enthralled in it. However, you, you do lose sight of taking care of your fundamentals, your sleep, eating well, exercising and it really, it is a real roller coaster. and it's not until there are, there are times where you kind of, you do break and um, and you go to your support network and but also you, you do have to take a lot of time for yourself uh, learn about yourself as well why what motivates you why do you throw yourself into your work uh, why are you not looking after yourself and this is where that personal growth comes from and you kind of 
start to, you know, add new like, good practices in addition to the work that you're doing. Um, I took up a hobby about two years ago, started learning the piano. I guess you can see it behind me. Uh, and that's, you know, doing a few additional things to look after yourself. Yeah, I'll just add something to that. I mean, me and Rosal have known each other for 20 years and Carly as well. But um, it's, it's, it's very important to have communication with your fellow founders and like the core, core team in your group because you often can all get caught up in the hype of your various projects you're working on. And you can see people in your team and, and like close to too. Potentially someone's done three all-nighters in, in a row trying to get a you know, new product patch out or some bug fix or some new feature. And although it's good to congratulate them for that thing, you, you don't want to be encouraging that kind of behaviour because people get kind of stuck into hyper-productivity loops where you just see them slowly withering away even though they are doing having productive output. So it's important to keep in close contact communication with everyone in your team and checking in and making sure they're doing other things. And when, when we started Singularity, I was living in the US and um, me and Rosalie were talking on the phone, you know, for hours every night about various legal things and agreements and neither of us was really sleeping any regular sleep schedule. But, we were, you know, it seemed like the first person message in the morning was Rosalie, what did you get done while I was asleep and I picked up off him? And it just, there was various moments where we had very unproductive, unhealthy periods. Ryan's actually my wife. <laughs> it sounds like it's been quite a journey. Ryan, you did touch on the fact there that you and Rosalie have known each other for 20 years. You founded a business together five years ago. What does, what does life look like in five years? Where do you hope that the business and your friendship will be in the next five? Beach somewhere, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> there hasn't been many chances for holidays in amongst this whole operation, but I, I always say to Rosalie, we always work, we always work well together and I only agreed to pay more because I joined in with Singularity about a year after the founding of Alert. But I always like working with Raz because he's always an optimist, optimist and I'm always a pessimist. So we have this good dynamic of he, he's proposing a lot of crazy ideas and he knows he's got me when I'm slightly less critical than usual. I'm like, okay, that's not the worst idea you've ever had. Let's, let's see where that goes. And so that, that kind of back and forth I think is productive where we don't actually act as some sort of echo chamber for ideas. We actually give each other feedback and criticism, which are very helpful. Um, I think, I think uh, for the group, the next six to 12 months, I think with a lot of, like, a lot of companies, uh, it's going to be a pretty crucial um, uh, period. Uh, but I think that getting through the successfully, uh, we can see the alert group um, being quite successful, uh, not just in Australia, but also globally. And that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. So thank you both for your time. We are going to close up today with a quick fire round. So I will fire a series of questions at you and then just a one word or a short phrase answer. Because we've got two of you on today, Raz, if you wanted to answer first, Ryan, you answer and we compare how you've both come out. How does that sound? Sure. All right. Question one, what is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Uh, stubbornness. <laughs> Grit, some would call it. <laughs> some would, um, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like belief. Alignment of interest between the people that are working on the project, people who actually care or have a state in the project. That's very important. Very nice. Now, understanding that you've obviously founded together here, but as a general rule of thumb, would you say it's better to found solo or as a team? I'd say team. 
Yeah, I'd say 10. And you generally want to fight down with people who, again, have like complementary assets. You don't want two people who are just butt heads about certain things. True. In startups, as in marriage. Well said, Ryan. I like that very much. Now, who should we interview next? Raz? Ooh, um, good question. Uh, Ryan, anybody come to mind for you? Peter Clark. He's, uh, yeah, Peter, Peter Clark. Yeah, he's amazing and he's been very influential in our career. So he's not only just in the startup space but in connecting startups to industry, which is his specialty now. He's very, very good at that. That's actually a great suggestion. All right, our next question, I think I'm, I know what you're both going to say, but let's throw it out there anyway. AI, like it or loathe it? Raz? Oh, it's, it's my bread and butter. Um, <laughs> we've had several of, um, conversations about this. Uh, look, I think the only way to really be able to make tremendous progress while improving our uh, standard of living uh, without draining uh, a ridiculous amount of resources on the planet is through substantial uh, gains in automation, productivity and efficiency. The only way we can do that is using AI to automate a lot of processes we haven't done before. Um, I think that's the only way we can sustain healthcare, uh, not just as it is, but also provide it to more people and not be crippled by the cost it provides or it costs us. I think that is very fair point. So I will assume, Rosali, that you like it. Ryan, will you... Will you Will you tip I the boat? You're going to loathe it. Primarily because for the first eight years of me and Rosalie's life, we were used to write <laughs> algorithms the old-fashioned way, and now all those years seem like a complete waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> because now AI is so powerful, and yep. you don't need to specifically tell the, the computer like exactly how to analyze a particular signal or an object. You can teach it to learn how to do that, which makes it. You become you feel like a teacher rather than a programmer a lot of the time. Hmm. That's a, that's actually a very good point, and I've heard several people say um, similar things actually lately. I think that really what a programmer looks like is changing for the future. And an easy one to close it out: if you were at a bar, what would you be ordering, Rosali? Ooh, um, at a bar, uh, yep. dirty uh, vodka martini, slightly dirty. Oh, that's why we're friends, Ryan. A very old-fashioned with citrus bitters. No, oh, controversial. I do like it. I do like it. So thank you both so much for your time today. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic to find out more about your business and we would like to wish you and your team all of the best for the future. Thanks a lot. And thanks to our sponsors, the Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed Co-working Spaces, the New Industries Fund, Curtin University, IP Lawyers Raise, and BDO Accounting. We recorded this podcast from the comfort of our own homes in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Thank you. Thank you.